Hi, and welcome to That's My Rini Podcast. My name's Alicia Myronic, and I am your host and creator of this fun new concept. But first, what exactly is Myrony? Well, Myrony, or my irony, are those crazy coincidences that happen in life that you just can't explain. It's also another word for sign or synchronicity. We've all experienced these throughout our lives. But what if you started paying closer attention to your myronies? What if you started connecting the dots, or as I like to say, follow the spiritual breadcrumbs that could have an impact so big that it changes your life forever, not to mention the lives of others. Now that's myrony. Hi, and welcome back to That's Myrony Podcast. I am your host, Alicia Myronic, and I am so excited to have my next guest, who's also my now, I'll say, new virtual friend, (laughs) Camille Cower. And Camille is also a fellow podcaster who has the e-spot with Camille Cower. And so just a little bit about Camille. She grew up in a film family. Her father is an award-winning unit production manager. I'm gonna find out what, what that is actually. Uh, her mom's a noted artist and also a retired stunt woman. So wow, talk about an exciting family. And Camille is also an actor herself. And um, so how she got into the East spot and she started st- live streaming from her home studio where she gets to interview some of her favorite people in film, fashion and music and the entertainment business. So Camille, thank you so much for being here today and uh, sharing your Myronic stories with us. <laughs> It's my Myroni. No, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm so exactly <laughs> so excited to be here with you. So thanks for having me. Well, I just love, you know, one of the things I can say if we if we can talk about, you know, we always want to look at the good in things. And the one good thing out of the pandemic is how we have been able to connect literally around around the world. So I feel so blessed to have been able to connect with you now, thanks to, um, you know, we're gonna give a shout out to Jeff Pulver and <laughs> and the Zulas, one of the coolest networking groups that I think you and I will agree. Anybody who wants to check that out, just go to pulver.com. And because without that, we wouldn't have connected, you know? It, and it's just it's so amazing. Yeah, but it's still a matter of somebody sharing that with you. Like somebody had to tell you, somebody had to tell me, somebody had to bring us in into the group. Exactly. You know, and that's the real, that's another part of it. And you have to step into it, take that chance of meeting someone new, trying something new. Well, that's so. exactly it. I mean, it's all thanks to Myrony that I was, uh, that I joined the Pulver Network. It was our, it was actually because of our other friend, um, Karen Pulver of Grateful Goddesses, which you just, I just listened to your interview on that. So we're going to give a shout out to Karen also to listen to her podcast, Grateful Goddesses, and listen to Camille's episode there because that was so insightful. But Mm -hmm. I know for myself, it was literally, I was told about this. And then the next day um, I was asked to, you know, join to check it out. And it was all because of Karen Pulver being the guest on Grateful Goddess, uh, speaking about Grateful Goddesses that I joined and how did I have any clue how amazing the the group would grow and and the networking that we're able to do. So 
And I know, let's give a shout out to Eugene because Eugene's the one, Eugene Barlas is the one that brought you, right? Right, that's right. I met him right here in Raleigh, North Carolina. We met at, so we'll start with my ironies right there. Um, <laughs> my mother is, like you mentioned earlier, is a noted artist, hence the artwork behind me and the earrings that I'm wearing currently is also handmade by her as well. And we were doing, thank you. We were doing uh, here locally, there's Frontier is a business here that's like a co-office space. And they do these different marketing events or not marketing, like um, local market pop-ups every Mm -hmm. once in a while and different lunch and learns and so on. And so I would go to the different lunch and learns and I would go to the different um, pop-ups. And my mom, one year, she did the pop-ups for a Christmas event. It was Winterfest or something. And Eugene was there and um, I don't think he would mind me sharing this part of it, but he was kind of struggling. Like he had just had some um, medical stuff done and I'm just an impact. Like I can't help it if I see somebody struggling or hurting or just, I don't know. I just felt like I wasn't sure if he was lost or if he was in pain, but because of him holding the cane at the time, I thought, well, maybe he needed help. Mm -hmm. Either way, I started speaking with him. He didn't need help at all. He just was trying to find his friends. (laughs) But again, I think maybe being an actor, you just read people's faces. You read people's emotions. You're trying to see how people react. And, you know, like. But you also mentioned, you also mentioned you feel as an empath. Mm -hmm. So is that a gift that you, that you connect to as an empath? I mean, I do. Sometimes I have to turn it off or just like. Yeah. I can't take everything in and I can't, um, I can't allow everything to affect me. So I have to limit it. Like there's just certain people or even though I want to be friends with them, it's just, I can't because it's just too much of, it just sucks too much out of me. And I, I don't have, I like to keep a certain limit. I like to keep my gas tank at a certain amount. I don't like to go down to right <laughs> down to the third quarters or half full. I'm kind <laughs> of a, I like to keep mine closest to full as possible at all times because life will dip you down hard enough that I don't need friends that dip me. So, um, you know, to say that's where I met Eugene and then well, that's so amazing. So you're the one, you're the yeah. one that had the feeling to go up to him and, you know, be, you know, just, just, just because you felt that you had that nudge, even, you know, that's one of the things I say with, with my irony is that, you know, it's those crazy coincidences that happen in life that we can't explain, you know, but it's, um, another word, uh, you know, sign synchronicity, but it's also synchronicity in motion. So let's, let's actually look at the synchronicities of motion that happened to how we both actually connected. So you felt this, so you went up to Eugene and then the motion continued where then you guys went out to lunch, like, you know, must've become, you know, become friends. So I, I have a thing for storytellers and if somebody ha- tells really great stories or share, I, I may know nothing that they're talking about. And sometimes with Eugene, I know nothing that he's talking about because he goes into these tech or economic terms. And I'm just like, sounds great. I'll just, I'll just wait and see if I can figure it out. You know, like if I can't figure it out, then I'll ask at the end, but I don't want the story to end. And that's what it was with him. Because um, funny enough, that same night I met him, I met an actor who is um, a main character on the show, Stargirl. He just happens to live in North Carolina. And so mm-hmm. we had a long conversation that night as well, where he was like sharing how he was, um, he had, he had performed in broad, like the equivalent to Broadway in the UK and Australia oh, wow. and it played like 
and all over the place. And my daughter loves uh, superhero movies. So the fact that he was on a superhero stuff. So we were just talking to him. And I was like, well, let's see who else I might meet. <laughs> cool. <laughs> the odds of that happening. And you're like, who knows, right? So um, anyway, but yeah, the energy, because I do have a thing about following my energy and my gut and just um, recognizing that there may be ancestors or guides, angels, however, different people, your higher power, they're guiding you in certain ways. And a lot of times I believe in that muscle failure of, or muscle memory of that. If it hurt, you're not going to want to do it again. So sometimes you're scared away from things Mm -hmm. a little too early. And sometimes you might be attracted to something a little too early because it was fun before, but doesn't necessarily mean it will be again. So I do sometimes overanalyze things and sometimes see things that aren't there because I'm like, I want it to be there. So it can go both ways with that for me, but I am one of those that's willing to like, well, let's see what could happen. (laughs) No, that's, that's so cool because, you know, it's like that. I always say, you know, when the door opens, walk in, at least, you know, peek in, see what's going on, you know? So it doesn't always open. So, so just to recap, so you met Eugene, how many years ago was it? Um, not many years. I, I wasn't even, I think it's just been a year. Oh, just a year. Okay. It's hard and so to tell then, with time. Um, and so then, it was, yeah, it was last Christmas, I guess, around that time. Okay. So over, then over year. you guys actually, you know, got to know each other in person because, you know, in this year we haven't been able to do anything of meeting people in, in person. So from December to March, we met a few times and we talk on the phone about different things. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, he, I've, I've had amazing conversations with him also. I also plan on having him on because he's got some very myronic stories, have to say. <laughs> but then I it is true, you took the choice or you, you made the choice to, to join the group, you know, and it's like, so I guess one of the things to, you know, share with the listeners is always take those opportunities because we never know where they're going to go. Yeah, be that person that extends those opportunities too because the reason Eugene invited me he was like I'm positive you'll meet someone there they'll change your life yeah I know how do you deny an invitation like that exactly you can't (laughs) we were meeting about business opportunities as well because I was working here at a local radio station as a host here for the radio and just needed a change I was looking for anything that still would use all my skill sets but I was exhausted I was burnt out by the idea of working at a Place that wasn't appreciated so mm. I needed I needed something needed something to do that was consistent and fun so well that's out awesome with people with great storytellers <laughs> or- <laughs> that's awesome and again I feel so lucky to now know you but I want to go back to because I know you have a very interesting life uh I mean the way you were brought up um I know you said that you were uh, a military kid right didn't you lived Mm -hmm. all over the place so what so please share a little bit so we'll start from the beginning um my mom is from North Carolina well both of my parents my birth parents are from North Carolina and um my birth father who I don't have a relationship with so that's why I'm referring to my birth father Mm -hmm. uh he he was after college he got drafted and my mom and him got married I guess it was like 18 or so I don't know Anyways, they moved to Louisiana because of him getting drafted for, to go to, I can't think of the words now, um, military base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not the word because that's a film word. Base, base practice, no. Ah, military will know. Um, 
when you like the school you go to to get started but anyway he was gone he went off to that basic training there we go Oh, okay basic training. it has the word base in it i'm dyslexic so words that look or sound alike it's like uh, i can go through a whole rolodex before i find the right one um <laughs> But so he had to go there for basic training. My mom decided to join the Air Force as well. So they both ended up being in the Air Force. And um, I, she was in for a while and then got pregnant with me <laughs> and dropped out, started. Uh, they left Louisiana. Maybe I was like six months, maybe moved to California. Then from there, we were stationed in Europe and we were there for until I was 13. So overseas, wow. we were stationed in Germany first, then Turkey, then Holland. And when we first moved to Germany, we never lived on base when we were overseas. Is um, So like part of that was my parents wanted the real experience of what's the point of living in a different country and still living amongst Americans. So they always lived off base. And oh, plus my cool. dad being a military policeman, he wanted to be away from the people he had to kind of look over, you know, because he was basically the mayor of our base, basically every, because um, he was the chief of police. Oh, so okay. um, I lived there until I was 13 and I started school. I went to German school first. So my first like, learning of language was in German and then um, to I'm an only right. child, so to play with other friends and so on, I had to speak whatever native language was around me. So, so do um, you, are, are you uh, still fluent in those languages? No. <laughs> I wish. Um, so when I, so with Germany, then Turkey, then Holland, moved to America. Well, my mom, uh, escaping a bad marriage, <laughs> ran back to America and when she was here, it's when I was put into English as a second language because my accent was very thick and no one could understand me. Wow. But at the same time in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where we first started, they had a very strong accent that I couldn't understand. So it was, it was, <laughs> it was interesting. There was a lot of loss in translations and um, learning English through A from even though my parents were American and native speakers, when you're, when you start living abroad, you start you, your mannerisms, your language patterns and speeds, they change, especially if you learn the language as well, like my mother did, because she went to college in Turkey and so on. And she was very much like, I'm going to learn everything I can and immerse myself as much as possible, having lived in one state her whole life up until that point. Oh, wow. For the most part, or well, except for the few times in the military they moved before then, but yeah, you know, she was like, I'm going to learn it all. She was fluent in French before she even moved there. So, oh, yeah, she's, she's wow, bad. You're, yeah, I'm, a, I'm like, your mom just sounds like, <laughs> holy geez, what doesn't she do? <laughs> Pretty much everything. Because um, I was even talking about like when I was a kid, when we lived in Holland. So the A-team was a big deal then. I don't know if you grew up hearing about the A-team. And um, there was a main character on there called Mr. T. And he was a black actor who had like a, um, he had like a tea mohawk hairdo and he would yeah. wear all this gold jewelry and so on. Well, he was a big character overseas. Oh, like, I thought you said, deal. I thought you said the 18, the A team. See, there's still issues there. <laughs> yes, of course. When I talking about Europe even, I go back. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so he, 
so my mom was friends with some friends that worked at a local news station and they were doing this promotion and asked her to pretend to be his girlfriend. Oh. Very married for, by the record. But so she did it. She signed up. And so we were kind of like little celebrities in Holland because people thought she was really his wife or his girlfriend because she would sign autographs um, at different like races and so on. She would sign the um, A team. They sent her, they sent them the stuff from wherever was the production company. Because at my mom's house, she still has a picture of from the A team. <laughs> but like she was signing and she would kiss the winner at the end of the race for the different bike races there. Cause biking is really big in Holland. So uh -huh. I, I, I really had a nice life over there. And so coming to, Coming from there to America, it was, it was, it was a bit huge culture change. Wow. To say the very least. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, but talk she, about an interesting, yeah. Talk about an interesting way to grow up, but then, yeah. okay. So now moving into, you know, you, your, who you consider your dad, who is, um, a, a uh, an award-winning unit production manager. Uh, manager. Yeah. So. How did that, how, how did they meet and? Now this is one of those ironies. Okay. So, uh, yeah, she, she went, I'm like thinking in my head, would she mind me telling this publicly? No, she wouldn't mind because it's the truth. Um, so my mom was on a date with mm -hmm. a first date with this guy and mm -hmm. they went to this, it was like, um, it was here in North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, actually. And it was like, um, the bottom part was a nightclub and the top part was a hotel, but it was very, like, it was, that's where the people of Durham went. So mm -hmm. they went there and my dad was walking his dog because he was in town filming and just was staying in the hotel, left, walked down and was walking his dog. My mom was on her date and she was like, oh, a Bouvier, which was the kind of dog my um, dad was walking around with. And yeah. the guy's like, that's not it. Like he was being such a like <laughs> jerk, a misogynist jerk to her, the way she tells me the story anyway. And sorry if that's not true, sir. But anyway, I probably was. And so she ended, she's like, well, let's go ask him. So they went and started talking. Next thing you know, the date didn't work out, but her and my dad did. Oh so, my God. That's have a dog. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that those chance meetings, because, you know, that really, that probably was the only chance that they ever would have had that moment to connect. But mm -hmm. I don't know um, how, if, if you, if you believe in soulmates and I mean, I believe there's more than one soulmate. It's not just one soulmate, but there, it sounds like your, your parents have that beautiful soulmate relationship because that they divorced. Oh, they divorced. Oh, well, he was meant to be my dad. So I well that that, that actually okay and then there's also those relationships so that you can you know that's that's exactly it yeah, so yeah. he's definitely meant to be in my life my guide my angel whatever I mean because we talk on a regular basis and there's so many times I'm just like what would I do without him <laughs> oh like, how would I have like what because he's just so he's so thoughtful intuitive but he also he really he because he was a member of SNCC and he was a freedom writer and he, he was at school and university and Temple University and came down and helped um, Blacks in the South be able to vote and 
he actually was um, taken into custody by police and was there for three months, brutally beaten um, at oh. the very beginning, of course, because this was in the 60s in the South. Right. In Atlanta, Georgia. So um, during that three months that he was there, he started like thinking about how the Klan and Nazis and different things, how they would use media to turn the general public against whoever they wanted to be the enemy, enemy, whether it was the Jew, um, Jewish population or black population, Native American, whatever it was. Yeah. And so for him, he, he realized the power that there is in media mm-hmm. and the importance of using it as a way to be a beacon for good, as opposed to encouraging the negative stereotypes as you see where we are now. Right. So he was always like, made a point of having me think about that. Like um, before social media ever existed, he was always giving me lines like, make sure you don't do anything you wouldn't want to see in the newspapers. Uh-huh. And he was always, and once I, like he would tell me these stories about drinking, like how does that look in pictures? Like, cause he worked in film. He worked in the film industry. He knew how images looked, how pictures look, how people would portray you just based on your images or how they would stereotype based on how they were casting, directing, whatever. And um, to answer your question about unit production manager, they're pretty much like the CFO of a film. They do all the budgets. They hire all the um, department heads. They cannot get you into a movie. Just going (laughs) and putting that out. So don't hit me up with your DMs. I don't want your IMDb pages. Don't send it to me because otherwise, don't you think I'd use that? But no. But um, so... He, he had that insight. So I always kind of grew up with the idea that who you are mattered more than anything else. Like the kind of person you are, your character and just money didn't matter because you would see on set how quickly things were fake or right. just made to look a certain way. Like um, we worked on this film together, something new and like 90% of the flowers in the garden that this guy does to renovate her garden to make it into a beautiful oasis were fake. <laughs> they weren't even real. They, weren't even, they didn't even grow out of the ground. Like, you know, it's just seeing that from such a young age, it just made me realize like beauty is fake. Like the fashion, it, it's, I can see the beauty in it. I do enjoy it. I do like looking at beautiful things because on that right. same scale, you're trained to look for it. You're trained to find ways to make people, because I was also an esthetician, so I'm trained to try to make people look more asymmetrical. Like that was my job. Right, right. With him giving me that insight, it made me realize like it it mattered more about who you were on the inside and listening to those red flags about people because he worked on, he was um, a very popular singers back in the day manager. And he saw what would happen to women when they would be, intoxicated and it was never it was never the actor I mean the singer it was usually his henchman but my dad was like I couldn't do it anymore like you're trying to keep the girls away but and he's and they're going to take advantage and so he's just like so it's just again it's just like learning your limitations your boundaries what's really important and knowing that it's it can all be temporary whoever is the PA today could be the director tomorrow um, right. production assistant or vice versa so right well, it sounds yeah, like your dad's a very wise man. I'm yeah. very lucky to have him. Oh, that's... I'm very lucky my mom fell in love with him. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, you know, and that's the other thing with soulmates is that sometimes it's only meant for however long, but it really does sound like, I mean, what are the odds of, you yeah. know, meeting because 
in that way. So that's beautiful. And for you to, to have them in your life, that's the most mm-hmm. important thing. So I do want to go into, um, I mean, cause you know, it says that your mom was a stunt woman, a retired national, a retired stunt woman. Like how did, how did she get into being a stunt woman? Well, so she was always very athletic having grown up with four I'm, I'm bad with math when I'm thinking on the top of my head. Three older brothers. Sorry. Sorry, auntie. I was making you into a boy. Three older brothers. <laughs> <laughs> One younger sister. Um, so um, the three older brothers and her younger sister wasn't born. She was like 13. So she was the only girl for a long time and just tumbling around with them and then um, getting married, being in the um, Air Force as well. She just was always a very physical person. So she got into karate Mm-hmm. and um, worked her way up to a black belt and started doing all these different championships all around Europe oh, where she wow. won all these different awards there as well where she was like she traveled to Spain like she was traveling all over all over the place kicking butt well yeah. when I said she seems to do everything she really seems to do everything <laughs> there's no limits to what this woman can do she can cook she she does it all and she's gorgeous so and you, um, I don't know if you mind saying her name because you said she's oh, yeah. an Olivia Gatewood. Olivia Gatewood. Olivia Gatewood. And and your dad? Dwight Williams. Dwight Williams. Oh, that's awesome. Because I, I definitely want to look into them way more. I mean, that like, holy geez, your mom, because your, your your mom's artwork is absolutely stunning. I mean, I know for the mm-hmm. listeners, you can't see, but right. But it's just, it's so beautiful. And the fact that she makes these makes this jewelry for you and and or, i mean for others too but i would yeah, imagine yeah, yeah. but but um so was it because of your dad that then she got into being a stunt yeah. person okay so that so was- she was on set with him and then when they found out she had like um he was on set talking with all the uh, like i remember what she was doing at first on set helping out because she she has a bachelor's degree in art mm-hmm. but she she knows how to do everything. And she, she taught art. She was, um, she worked, she helped with the orphanage. Like she wow. was in law school. Like the woman could do anything. So um, I wasn't, I don't remember what her first job on set was, but while she was on set, she made friends with um, Henry Kenja, who's a huge um, stunt person. He's, he trains or taught almost everyone. And um, his, his wife was the bionic woman. I can't, think of her name but oh we had worked with her on a few wow. films as well yeah do you know what i'm talking about yeah i know who you're yeah. talking about i okay. don't i can't think of her name I but i her name yeah so um you know say so he, he started training her because he was like there's not many black women that are doing stunts and they were starting to change the rules that men or people that if you had to be the same race as the person you were a double for mm-hmm. um so they needed black women for that reason. And so they started training her. She did car stunts, fighting stunts, um, falling downstairs. Uh, uh, she got carjacked in one film. That's one of the few films you can actually see her face because they shatter glass into her face. Um, that was oh. a Jason's lyric. You can see oh. her in that one. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So that's really cool. How did you get into, because I remember in one of our conversations, you said, you know, like you were, when you were being brought up in this way, you thought everybody, this was everybody's life. (laughs) Well, in the sense of like, everybody just moves around. I didn't know people just lived in the same place from like elementary school to high school. (laughs) 
Right. Yeah. Because yeah, you lived in how many, what was it like? 26 different schools I went to all together, which for the record, I had no idea it was that many at the time. It didn't seem like that many at all. It was just, I had to write out my transcripts when I went, when I was applying for college, which is another reason I won't go to grad school. There's no way I'm going through that again. Cause I went <laughs> to like five or six different colleges. As well. Oh my goodness. I don't know how to stay still. I'm learning now, but well, now I, now I know it was ADHD and dyslexia probably, but um, when you move around that often, it's easy to fall through the Wow. And then um, when did you get into acting? So I would be on set with my family because we, we moved wherever my dad was filming, we moved together. And so I'm an only child. There's not, I grew up away from my family, like aunts and uncles. Like I didn't really grow up around them until uh, high school age, really. Because mm -hmm. we were like in Jersey, uh, Utah, Texas, California a lot, New York a lot. We were just all over the place. Um, but and I loved it, my dad, because I, I always wanted to be a performer since I was a kid. I loved Diana Ross. I used to like stand up on the table. So like every new school, I was like, oh, I can try a different personality a little bit. <laughs> like I can not be shy here or, right. you know, to like see what works and where I could fit in and really just kind of test the waters because um, I went from wearing huge glasses and having the same size that I had now but like a really small body. Oh. <laughs> and so like getting called Q-tip was a nice thing. All the other names weren't so nice. So oh. uh, yeah, well, I mean, I know I every kids... model has that story that they were picked on for their looks and then they blossom. So. I know it's always, uh, yeah, you hear that almost, I mean, I hate to say it's that ugly, thick, you know, the ugly, ugly duckling. duckling syndrome or whatever, but yeah, it's like, and it's just kids are so kids are just so cruel at times, you know, it's just like, oh, you know, but yeah. it's um, so that was an easy target, like a black girl with a German accent. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I, I still can't believe you had a, a German accent. Like I, I, I try to picture, you know, when I when mm -hmm. I heard that the first time, I was like, oh, my goodness, because <laughs> you, know? you definitely have no remnants of that whatsoever well, anymore. So on, on one of my dad's jobs, actually, who's the man? Um, I'm so bad with names. I, normally I look it up if I know I'm going to talk about him so I can remember his name, but he was the barber on who's the man. And he knew about me getting picked on and so forth at school. And um, it also be a hindrance for acting as well, because I had worked on something and they dubbed my voice. <laughs> my mouth wasn't moving, but whatever. Editing. Um, so that's fun. It was rated R, so I didn't know for a long time what happened. But anyway, um, so he knew about me having struggling with it. And so he worked with me and just told me these different tricks on how to turn it off or how to work harder on it. And it just became like second nature almost to the point where only time I wouldn't sound like I had an accent is if I was drinking or if I was on medication, something that alternated my thoughts where I wasn't thinking before I was speaking, so to speak. Okay. And I was a very fast talker too. So I had to learn to like slow down and yeah, which I'm still sometimes when I get really funny, I'm like, so <laughs> I'm like, oh wait, slow down. But, so, yeah. so then like, how old were you when you got into acting and, um, and yeah, I know you were modeling or you're a model still, but, um, 
Uh, well, so working on set with hanging out with all of them, I honestly wanted to be a makeup artist originally and just thought that would be the easier way in because getting in the union or getting even on set was impossible. I felt like as a makeup artist, it was a lot harder, mm-hmm. surprisingly, um, than it is as an actor. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's just, it's a coveted job. It's great pay. It's union. You get head of medical insurance. And it seemed like a fun thing to do from hanging out in the makeup trailer, but not necessarily hanging out on set with the makeup artist. So the first time I did work as a makeup artist on a film, I found out very quickly it wasn't for me. <laughs> it's very boring waiting for lipstick to change colors or you know, wear off while they're talking or eyeliner or whatever you're like making sure that stays um, consistent from shot to shot. And you're hearing the same lines said maybe for an hour. Right. For a while. (laughs) I'm bored. (laughs) I'm exhausted. It's a lot different when you come from the acting side where you're the one, like your adrenaline's going and you're so on. But so um, I can say, how I got started in acting, my parents broke up my senior year of high school. And it was one of those where it was like, I didn't know what to do. So when they broke up, um, of course, being that my, my mom's genetic child, I stayed with her, of course. And for years, my father and I, we had lost touch. We didn't communicate. And um, so I just kind of put the entertainment world behind me, just you know, I live in North Carolina now. There, we only filmed two films in North Carolina during all of those years we were traveling around. Mm-hmm. So I was just, just like, and they were all in Wilmington. And well, one was in Durham and then the other was Wilmington. So I was just like, well, there goes that. The dreams of doing that, unless from college I moved out or something like that. But um, my mom, I felt like my mom needed me as well. So I wanted to stay kind of close to her. So I went to college and I was working at the Clinique counter and Mm -hmm. this guy, Benjamin, who I'm still friends with, walks Uh up to me and says, hey, you should be a model. Sure, I should. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Um, this isn't Grand Central Station. Thanks, good pickup line, keep it moving. And he's like, no, 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 I do these different fashion shows and coordinate them. I'm not hitting on you. I'm, I really would love for you to be in these uh, modeling for me. Da, 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 da. I was like, what else? I mean, you know, it's pain and I'm a college kid. Why not? Right. Now I'm a college kid paying my own way through college since now my parents are going through a divorce, right? So I'll take yeah. any job I can get. Mm-hmm. So I started modeling with him. He introduced me to his agent. And so she started sending me out on all these different extra jobs. I got, I had headshots already made from when I was 15, but mm-hmm. I was still using at 19. Because <laughs> they were made in New York by a very famous popular headshot guy. And I didn't want, I was like, there's no way I can afford to do that. My parents had paid for it. And, um, Right. The makeup artist from Strap. She did my makeup that day before I went in. Or who's the man? Sorry. Um, Winsome Sinclair did my makeup. So I was just like, there's there's no topping this look. So um, I used that headshot for about 10 years, I think. Wow. I used it a long time because I could get away with it. Maybe right. It was a long time. But um, we became friends. We started working on all these different extras on different films. And as we would learn things, we would share. And I worked on this film called um, New Best Friend with the Fen Cannons, who also cast Dawson's Creek. And from working on 
the movie and making friends with the casting director from that when they had a part they were looking for someone without a southern accent to play <laughs> a cheerleader because they were getting in a lot of trouble with the NAACP for being an all-white show mm-hmm. so um, they had to sprinkle in some chocolate sprinkles as I was described <laughs> on Entertainment Weekly magazine and oh my god really you know, yeah they really call it they, they said um, Dawson's Creek added some chocolate sprinkles so it was me, Bianca Lawson, and I, I can't ever pronounce his name when I want to, but it's like Obababa Tunda was the principal and it was his daughter that became a main character. And I was a cheerleader with Michelle Williams. Oh, wow. So how long, how long was that for? It was just one um, season, but four episodes I worked on, give or take. Um, there was a horrible hurricane that came in during filming. So they ended up like cutting a lot of the scenes because it destroyed the football stadium they were using and different things. Like there was a lot of work they had to do. So they ended up like cutting the whole like cheerleading and football stuff that I was mainly part of. But they brought me back again later on to just do a couple of scenes with Meredith Monroe since she was in the movie I did over the summer and we had connected well, as much as you can connect with a person. <laughs> And you're only seeing on set, you know, right? <laughs> the fake friendships that you would play on camera, but then as soon as it's cut, it's like, okay, I don't know you. <laughs> that that so has to be. do like a full on love scene with someone and we never had a conversation. Yeah. I always found that so interesting, like how, yeah. how that is, you know, but so that's so interesting. That's how you got into the acting, well, modeling, then acting. And then when were you able to reconnect with your dad? Uh, so I don't even remember how it came about. Like maybe someone I knew had run into him or something. Like that's the funny part. I don't really remember. It could have even been like social media. I don't really know how we reconnected or was able to find each other again. Cause this is like before Google, you know, you couldn't just Google people to find their numbers or you move out of state. If you didn't have the yellow phone book, you had to right. out or for a while. I don't even remember, but so I don't remember how we got back in touch, but it was as if no time had passed and we reconnected really quickly. And my mom was engaged and had moved to Hawaii. Maybe it, um, maybe it was like a couple of years after that actually he had been there already a couple of years because I had visited her visited her already but um he he had mentioned he was like he really wanted to see me and so forth and I was like you know I really want to see you too so I he got a job in Memphis mm-hmm. hustle and flow that's what it was and so I went and visited him there and we hung out because we were talking on the phone a lot but just um to see him again he didn't know if it was gonna be like awkward or like you know, he was my dad, we lived together. And now all of a sudden we hadn't seen each other in a few years. And there's no manual for child of divorce. Like there's, and my birth father didn't want anything to do with me. So it's just like, Mm. I didn't know if he was going to be like, and my birth father, um, like whenever I would go visit him, a lot of times people didn't even know I existed. Like his friends didn't know he had a daughter or I would go visit him at the Pentagon and they didn't know I exist. I'm like, wait, he's the director of defense and you don't know he has a daughter? (laughs) I would say, you're bad at your job. (laughs) Especially since I send a lot of pictures, but none of the pictures were ever, like he never put them up because he didn't want to 
girl. He wanted a boy. So he finally had that. I was just oh. an alimony check or a child support check that he had to oh. endure. So anyway, his loss, I'm not, I'm not. Mad. Absolutely his loss. And it's, yeah. you know, you, you sounds like you got the best dad there now. I'm very you, grateful. My mom picked him up. <laughs> very grateful, very grateful to the dog. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, cause you know, the first one gave me good genes, I guess. And then the second one, <laughs> he gave me everything else I needed. So it worked out or, you know, like they wouldn't have met cause he lived in Philly or it was traveling around. And so. Well, yeah, that's, that's what, you know, why, after we got a chance to talk, because I mean, believe me, there's, you know, so many people I get to talk with and it's like, I'd love to have them on the podcast, but unless they got good Myronic stories, I mean, they got to be good stories. So like to hear, you know, I was like, I know there's some good stories here, you know, like I know there's an amazing Myronic journey that Camille has been on just by the the few things that we had talked about. And I really, you know, the other thing is, I don't want to know the the story until you know we're recording. Cause, yeah, yeah, because it's so even incredible. Just telling you the story now, it it I realized another irony of <laughs> the way my mom met my dad is this kind of the same way I met my husband. Oh wow! But I wasn't on a date. I wasn't that girl. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was I was on I was hanging out for the first time though with um, one of my best friends, we worked on something new. I, I was um, Sanai Lathan's stand-in and he was Simon Baker's stand-in. So we were each other's love interest stand-in. So we, everything we had to do together and we became like best friends. Mm-hmm. And his girlfriend was having a girl's night out. And at first I was like, I don't wanna hang out with your girl. Cause what if it's awkward? Cause I have a lot of male friends and sometimes the girlfriend isn't that cool with me not realizing I'm not the girl that's like secretly trying to take your man like I, I'm usually right. one like in their flowers you messed up <laughs> like, there's code red backup abort mission you have right? to do this right <laughs> I'm, I'm the girl that's like helping you out but needless to say um so we went out to a nightclub and she was flirting with someone else in front of me. And I was like, oh, I can't see this because he's my friend. I just met you. Like right. this is my first time hanging out with you. And we work together, her boyfriend and I, like this goes deeper. Right. So um, I started talking to my husband to uh, like to play, I don't know what's going on over there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cute guy. <laughs> and we've been friends ever since, or we've been together ever since. But um, I gave him the wrong phone number. So I had to call him first too. <laughs> dyslexia it doesn't it doesn't you can't turn it off <laughs> oh my- it wasn't for years later that I find out he called me but it was the wrong number oh and then oh. you had to make the choice to call mm-hmm. him well all my friends were hanging out on they all were booed up because I wasn't I wasn't a relationship type I didn't want to ever get married I was very career focused and child of two divorces I was just like the odds are against me being a good picker or Aww. I just didn't feel I was the, I liked moving. I liked being able to just pick up and go whenever opportunities came up or just to just go with girlfriends whenever they called me. So, Hey, let's go to Mexico. Okay, let's go. You know, like I could do that. Right. So our Vegas, my second favorite place. Oh, um, <laughs> or it was. And then got a daughter and my whole life changed, but he and I fell in love with him and then I was like oh yeah I kind of like this whole just dating one person and hanging out like we moved in together and 
I'm an only child. I like my space. So yeah, he changed me. And, but it's until I was telling you the story, I was like, oh yeah, we did meet kind of the same. <laughs> that's so funny. See, I just, see, that's why I love Myrony so much. There's always humor behind it too, mm -hmm. usually. Even mm -hmm. when they, even when it's situations that may not be, you know, we could be in like a, a difficult situation, but then a Myrony shows up, it at least makes you laugh, you know, it makes you chuckle, whatever. And so I just love, I mean, I love that you just recognize that. You're like, oh, wait yeah. a second. Yeah, that's pretty freaking close. Because <laughs> <You know>, like... <laughs> we make fun of that story a lot, like within the family, uh, the fact that because um, uh, my senior year of high school, I ended up dating his nephew. Oh. The guy that my mom, yeah. And we're still friends too, my ex and I. <laughs> and the way we broke up was kind of bad too. so he gives me a hard time that um yeah I used to be a bad girlfriend or I just was a bad I'm not I wouldn't say bad girlfriend I just I don't know well you just hadn't met was, you hadn't met yeah but you hadn't met the one that you know and that's um uh there's this better as friends that that definitely can be the case too you know but it's um but when you um, so wait, I'm sorry. That was your, so that was your ex-husband. No, I've never been married. Ex-boyfriend. Ex-boyfriend. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm like, I'm like, cause the story you just told was about your, was My about husband. your husband. <laughs> okay. Right. I, I was like, him, wait a yeah. sec. Okay. No, no, no. But I was saying funny enough that my fresh or not freshman, my senior year boyfriend hit, he was the nephew of the guy that my mom left at the hotel. Oh, that's okay. I missed that part. I was like, wait, where did that? Yeah, sorry. That is okay. That's yeah. And that's... I helped his sister in the elections because I, I help here locally with all the different elections and so on. And so uh -huh. we jokingly say that um, I could have been her sister-in-law, like just jokingly because she likes her sister-in-law. I clearly love my husband, but we just like whenever we're introducing each other jokingly, she's like, oh yeah, she, she was almost my sister-in-law. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Now that's some, that's some convoluted myrony for sure. <laughs> hey, anytime I see any, like, I, like I jokingly call my dad, the black Kevin Bacon, but then when anything like that happens to me, I'm just like, well, well that's supposed to happen. I, I, I moved around 26 different schools. Like to be connected to me, it's, it's bound. Like I would almost be surprised if you didn't know me. <laughs> some areas at some point in time or hadn't seen me somewhere or something because I'm on almost every well no no but I'm in every Beth, bed bath and beyond and Lowe's or <laughs> in the shower department or <laughs> on random stuff so, <laughs> well that's how I got like kind of the courage to even start going through all these different networking events and meeting more people is because um the comedian Roy Woods Jr. Mm -hmm. He did a voiceover making fun of one of my ads. Oh, really? And a girlfriend of mine saw it and sent it to me. And so then I was like, hey, I, and so I started like DMing him like, hey, my name's not Arlene or whatever. And so then we would start messaging back and forth like, oh, ha, ha, you know, joking back and forth with me. And then come to find out maybe Seven months later, he was in town for a NABJ meeting, um, National Association of Black Journalists. And my professor from college was like, hey, I think 
Roy Woods is going to be at the NABJ meeting. And so I was like, how can I get in? Because <laughs> <Like Joel laughs> I was like, this would be hilarious to get him. And to, and um, this was around this, I think maybe it was a year or two after HB2 happened here locally, which killed North Carolina film. HB2 was the um, house bill that was about uh, the bathroom law here in North Carolina where they were transgender, weren't allowed to use the bathrooms oh, okay, that they yeah. identified as, mm-hmm. which was, so all the entertainment industries, everything canceled up, like NCAA left, like everybody was leaving working here in North Carolina. That was, had a moral compass that didn't like that anyway. So right. um, getting people to talk about, especially in the entertainment industry about the reasons they wouldn't film here is because the HBT was very important to me to get more documents about that, to advocate for that. Cause here locally, that's what I do. I advocate for things that matter for me because otherwise I'm not working <laughs> on top of all that. But at the same time, it's important. So um, I was going to all these different events and political events and they were just like, if you can get any documentation, get documentation, get documentation. And I don't like writing. So here we go. I meet Roy Woods and I'm like, hey, do you mind? Um, <laughs> like, you know, since he made fun of me. <laughs> like, can I get a selfie with you? And he was like, oh, sure. And I was like, oh, so what do you think about that? Because, you know, he does all that political commentary on Tre- um, Trevor Noah's show. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what do you think about HB2? And he was like, oh, yeah, I was actually thinking of filming my, because he was um, filming his life story. And he was thinking of filming it here in North Carolina, but decided to move it to Mississippi because of HB2 and tax incentives. I was like, oh, can I get that on camera? He let me get it on camera. And just like from that point on, I was like, you know what? I can do this by myself. I don't have to have, I don't have to work with a radio station. I don't have to work with a broadcast company because I'd worked with other broadcast companies before to do Mm -hmm. different talk shows. And there was just so many different things that didn't work out. And it's like, let me just do it my way. And so Roy Woods kind of helped with that in that sense, where he gave me that courage to just go for it, DM him, and it worked out, you know? Like oh, if he wow. had just slammed me down or shut me down, maybe I wouldn't have kept, let's see what else I can try. Let's see what else I can get away with, you know? And then I started applying for more things that, and see who I could meet and um, get on camera. And I ended up getting um, Latoya Jackson, or not Latoya Jackson, sorry. She's from... Um, Gosh, I'm mixing people's names together. Ayanna Van Zant from Oprah's show, her own Fix My Life. I was able to get her. Um, Toya Luckett, thank you, from Destiny's Child. I was able to interview just all on my own without saying any store, um, any brand behind me. And then I was able to do red carpets for different events as they came in, just as wow. myself, you know, like no, no radio station sponsors, just on my own and just getting that, feeling that people were willing to take a risk on me without having any numbers or data or any reasons to that's amazing to interview with me I was like well let me keep seeing what I can do and then when um the pandemic hit and a publicist actually reached out to me and asked me if I knew anybody that was doing podcasts or anything because every all of her interviews were being canceled that were in studio and I mm-hmm. just helped her set up getting an interview on entertainment tonight so I was like well Oh, I don't deal with podcasts. I had no idea. So the next week I had a podcast. Wow. And that's how like, the e-spot with Camille Cower was was born, I take reborn. it. Reborn. Yeah, because I was doing it already on the radio. Oh, that's right. You're doing it on the radio. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then but then Moved you decided it. to continue and just do it on your own. 
right? And I was like, I don't need no speaking badges. No, I'm kidding. I don't need a producer. Yeah, actually, I do need a producer, but I'm doing it all on my own. It's fun. It's kind of nice learning how to do everything. So then when you do ask somebody else to do it for you, you know what it takes. You know how much work is in it to some extent, too. So I, I don't mind. My parents always taught me to learn every aspect of what you're doing so that if somebody doesn't show up or something happens, you can step in. Because there were so many times, that's how a lot of us ended up in front of the camera. Somebody didn't show up, so we would just step in or fall in. Um, uh, like the thing that they dubbed over me, um, Forrest Whitaker interviewed me, um, auditioned me in the middle of the street of Brooklyn. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So it's just somebody didn't show up that was supposed to, and I lucked out because he went down the line. So it was just lucky. Again, or am I ringing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you gotta be, you gotta be prepared too. Like if the opportunity comes around, you gotta be prepared for it. And well, that's absolutely true. And um, and you mentioned before, you know, like a little bit on guides or higher self, or you know, like I mean, I do feel like somehow you know, there's this greater picture. I like to say, you know, life is this giant puzzle and the myronies are sometimes the, um, you know, this, the, the pieces that lead to the giant puzzle. And when we can start putting them together and, and I feel like this puzzle you've kind of put together through this interview has just been so amazing, you know, cause it's like how many chance occurrences can think of my life as like a kaleidoscope in a way yeah it's, it's just it's like the artwork behind me even in that sense where depending on how you focus it or look at it, it can look so different and different so many different facets that have moved around for things that just happened so perfectly because my husband he lived in the bay area three months before we met like so it was even a matter of if he didn't take that chance of moving to la for the first time and I had lived in LA a few times, but I had just moved back myself maybe a couple of months beforehand. It's just like, I am not staying home using TV my first weekend. Because I, um, I was working in pharmaceutical sales. So uh -huh. I did all these different trainings in Detroit, and which is cold. I didn't move to LA to go have to wear furs in Michigan. But anyway, <laughs> um, you do what you can. So, I mean, fake furs. And um, okay, there's PETA people listening. Right. And so, you know, I, I was very eager to go out that night and have a great time. And I was really lucky that I met him and we've been having a great time. Oh, that's so wonderful. Well, I've just been so honored to hear this incredible story of yours because it really, it's like, I, I like to say it's the divine design that interweaves us together. You know, it doesn't, it's not weaving at a surface level. It's like going all different directions and, you know, how we all come together. So, yeah. so to um, share a little bit more about the East spot. So you, I, I know you're on, uh, it's considered season two. Is that correct? That's so right. if you want to so share... Yeah, so season one was a it was a doozy because um, it started with the radio station and I didn't include those numbers one in part of my podcast like I started from one from March and I ended up doing like 120 episodes during the pandemic. Wow, ending in September because I wanted something to do and I'm uh, extrovert mm -hmm. and just felt like if any chance I get to talk to another a, a willing adult and it's in the film industry. 
I'm going to take it because <laughs> I loved, I loved, I love talking about work. I love the whole process of it. And to hear from sides, maybe I wouldn't otherwise be privy to, because I work in the commercial world now for the mm-hmm. most part, my jobs are one day, maybe two. So to hear all the different inter- intricate stories that they would go through and the different pilgrim, I'm mean, not pilgrim, um, period pieces and things like I've never done, I've only done it as a stand-in. So I didn't have to change all of those different closes and stuff. And when I was, um, I was standing for Diane Carroll for having our say. That was like based in the 1900s. So that was as close as I got. <laughs> well, actually, um, Audrey McDonald does some dental work on me, but I think I wore something very, very easy to wear. It wasn't like all the layers that they have to wear in Bridgerton. <laughs> it was very simple. And I just remember the whole time that the um, dental instruments that they were using in my mouth were real. And so I was like, I didn't see any UV <laughs> and I'm a germ phobe. So it's like, there's sometimes I'm like, I do not get paid enough for this. <laughs> I get sick or die. <laughs> so the pandemic, I knew I had to stay home and I needed to stay busy. And my husband works for UPS now. So I didn't want also the negative noise in my head mm-hmm. sitting around in my head while I'm waiting around to do something or figure things out. And at the beginning, they didn't know a lot about the um, coronavirus and what prevents it. So we were spraying everybody down. And as he was coming in, dropping clothes and, you know, like it was a right. very scary time kind of in a way. Yeah. Cause it was a lot of unknown. Yeah, absolutely. And then you add in the George Floyd stuff of it all. Like I just needed an outlet that was positive and encouraging and could also give me an opportunity to talk to some of those gatekeepers maybe about the, di- how important it is to change the perspective on how they're portraying especially black people or women in film because it's helping that narrative to make it so easy for people to make um people enemies again you know it's the same things that were happening during like what made my dad feel empowered with media is what was you they were doing to depower like i felt there were so yeah. many films that they're encouraging narcissistic men they're encouraging women to feel that they have to put up with so much violent and aggressive male behavior. And um, I felt like a lot of the TV shows I was watching with my daughter that were meant, like we were excited to watch because they were um, black centered children. So I thought children, superheroes, something I didn't grow up with. So as someone that loved that kind of stuff, I was excited. And maybe in the first 30 minutes, the main characters are doing drugs, having sex, cussing out their parents, things that would not fly in real life. Right. So it's like, I'm, and in comparison to the exact same network, exact same um, company, everything CW, The Flash, I could leave my daughter in the room watching The Flash and they'll never have sex. They'll never drink alcohol. You will not see Barry do any drugs or cuss his dad. You won't see it. So it's right. just like that, that seeing that huge difference, how America is divided so much to where we're seeing all this horrible stuff about us and on the other side we're expected to just keep taking it you know and it's like I want to have an opportunity to just open eyes and have these conversations where maybe they're like oh, maybe I shouldn't just have a black character in this film just to move a, to be that sassy character that makes sense for the white character like maybe they really are just friends and they and they go back and forth and maybe the black character even has parents or her own love <laughs> interests or you know like she's not just um carrie's assistant that has sassy advice every once in a while on sex and city like you get excited right. for the black character the diversity and it's just like a token 
throw them in just to make sure more black dollars are spent in the movie theater because we spend the most on movies. And so it's like cater, cater to the real world. Don't just cater to Utah, you know, <laughs> which is what they base everything on the Midwest, middle America, middle America. I lived in Utah. There's not a lot of people. I mean, you can see now in Salt Lake City, there's not a lot of people like me or Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Oh, right. So, right. And I went to school there. So I know. Oh my goodness. They believe everything. I mean, um, so you listened to the interview I had with Karen where yeah. he was talking about how people believed she had horns. Yeah. Well, they called me savage there. <laughs> Didn't want me to trick or treat at their house. And I was a kid. That is crazy. Another girl who was white. So it wasn't a race thing. It was just, you're more, I mean, it could have been the race thing on top of it, but just not being Mormon was enough or her hanging out with me. Oh my, yeah. I mean, I didn't read that much into it because I didn't, I was still kind of innocent and naive on what all of that was. Like, I felt like racism had to be more obvious, more physical, more damaging because of the images you see it. You're like, oh, they have to hang you or put rate, um, put water hoses on your, your, you know, it's gotta be more physical and it's the everyday second guessing and having to explain who you are, why you're here, what you're doing, da, da, da. you know, it's just the everyday parts of it that starts breaking you down to a point where like, I don't believe in myself anymore. Or how yeah. do I build up my daughter when she's seeing these kinds of things? So it's like, I had to do something. I just couldn't. Oh, well, that's, so that's, you, it's only one day a week because I don't feel that much pressure anymore. <laughs> I know, because you were- Virtual Academy, yeah. Oh my God, because you were doing the eSpot live like every day, right? Like every, five- Monday through Friday. Yeah. Um, live wow. as well. So then if people were late or didn't show up or, you know, there was a lot of stress of that as well or- um, Yeah, yeah, mistakes, absolutely. Or even technology falling out because everybody was going live all of a sudden. So now you're buffering or- Right. They would change up algorithms and you would lose your music or your sound for an hour because they heard you had music. You know, it's just, it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. So one day a week, I pre-record them now and then I get to hang out in the chat and have conversations while people are watching it on all the different devices and feel like I'm engaging more instead of, okay, oh, I see a comment while I'm trying to answer a question. Like I'm ADD and dyslexic, but why use it all at one time when I could just focus on one thing? Yeah. Really be um, not distracted by other things. So I like I, I'm really enjoying it. I kind of miss doing it five days a week, but as you mentioned, we got Jeff's stuff to go to and I have um, grateful <laughs> goddesses to do. So I get other ways to fill it in without having the pressure of finding the guest and getting all the other aspects of doing a podcast and producing it and promoting it and you know all the extra work that um, podcasting, which is fun. Um, I don't have to do it as much if I only do one show a day or a week. Yeah, one show a week. Well, that's that's awesome. So how how can people find you and uh, what's the best way to connect? And Camillecower.com. So C-A-M-I-L-L-E-K-A-U-E-R.com or you can just read it. Oh, well, they're going to be listening. So yeah, um, <laughs> Camillecower.com. You can go there. You can find my Instagram, which is at the real Camille Tower. You can find my Twitter, CK on Air One. Uh, that was from the radio station days because we're never number two. And <laughs> that, I almost said it. And I was like, oh, those are from the radio days. And then um, at the real Camille Tower, Twitter, and at the real Camille Tower for Facebook as well. 
And it'll all be in the show notes and everything like that. So, well, Camille, this has been awesome. I hope you've enjoyed uh, walking down the myrony memories of your past because I think a lot of things were brought up that you're like, oh, wait a second, you know, but it's, um, I, I find it so amazing. It's like when we put the, when we connect the dots, it's like, and like you said, it's like a kaleidoscope and, you know, really just putting it all together. It's just been an incredible, um, incredible story you were able to share. So thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's fun to kind of go and even like relive some of those moments and like, oh, and see it in a different perspective as, as I get older, you know, your perspective changes too and different experiences might change the way you look at things. Absolutely. You know, the awareness that we can just bring. And and I love how you're bringing that awareness through the, through your podcast, the spot with Camille Cower, you know, because we have to have these conversations and, you know, we, and yeah, we can't just settle for what is, what has been happening, you know, but we have to keep looking from that higher perspective and, you know, bringing unity instead Mm -hmm. of divisiveness. So I feel, you know, the unity that we've been, able to connect and bring together and hopefully the power of, you know, the messages we get to share. It's just, it's been wonderful. So thank you again. And to all listeners, I'll see you next time. Thank you all for joining me on That's Myrony Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the Myronic stories shared today and possibly got you to connect to the Myronies in your own life. As you listen to this podcast, you'll start catching signs that are so subtle, but can have the biggest impact on your life. So pay attention to that inner voice and watch the Myronies appear in your life, just like the guest in my next episode. And please connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and that's Myrony.com, where you can share your unbelievable Myronies. Also, if you enjoyed what you heard and can take a moment to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting platform, it would mean so much because that is how others are able to find this podcast. Finally, please also tell your friends and family about Myrony because wouldn't it be fun to see people share their Myronies on social media in addition to their selfies? And remember, if something happens that makes you say, well, that's ironic, it's not ironic at all. It's Myronic. Now that's Myrony. See you next time.